Hello friends, it's yours truly, Akinade Adirele, and I'm here to share some exciting news and to welcome you to this fantastic episode we have with Mythological Africans. And we're super excited because we have an interesting announcement during the episode, so enjoy it. Please share this with your friends, your enemies, your cousins, your exes, everybody you can think of, uh, because we have some exciting stuff coming up. Enjoy the episode. Take care. Of Africa listeners, welcome back to a brand new episode. It is your host, Kosala Adirili, and I'm glad to be here talking with you on Parts of Africa, which is your podcast about African stories and news through African voices. Today, we have an exciting episode, at least it's exciting to me. Um, you might listen back <laughs> to like this is this was just a regular episode, but to me, it's exciting. Uh, we will be speaking to Helen of Mythological Africans. Helen, would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly, certainly. So my name is Helen Day, and I curate an online space called Mythological Africans, which is fully dedicated to exploring myths and folklore from across the African continent. And um, I am Cameroonian by birth, but I now live in the U.S. I'm a naturalized citizen here. So I try to build a community of like-minded people from the African continent, in the African diaspora, and anyone who just has an interest in mythology and folklore and wants to learn more about what um, African people have to offer. And that's what the Mythological Africans community is about. Awesome. Thank you for that introduction, Helen. <laughs> I'm sure just based off of that, you all know why I'm excited. Um, anything related <laughs> to our folklore and myth is always just so interesting. We are a diverse group of people from all over the 54 countries, but a uniting fact is that we have these folklores and these myths and these stories that help to convey some of our culture, some of our practices, some of our religions, and also just why we are the way we are, why we think the way we think, and why mm -hmm. we're all bound together, I think. And so yeah. with that, Helen... Would you mind taking us through some of your background? What got you interested in African mythology and in folklore? What was what was that trigger point for you that, oh, I should do this? All right. So I I am one of those people who read a lot as a child that you would always catch me with a book in my hand. So coming from a country like Cameroon, which is a former British colony, um, the libraries were full, of course, of the fairy tales and the books about Greek and yeah. you know Roman mythology and some stuff from India and China. So I, I got that you know basic foundation that we all got, and then um, 
that, you know, took the meandering road of figuring out what I would become in the future, studied journalism in Cameroon, which kind of tied into my love for stories. I moved to the U.S., thought about becoming a medical doctor for a while, you know, that, that dream that we all have, and yeah. then kind of meandered away from that, <laughs> meandered away from that. Studied public health instead, public health research, because um, poking into things, trying to answer big questions is something that I enjoy doing as well. But then being in the U.S. and um, there, there's something that happens when you are an immigrant. And I think many immigrants will will identify with this um, because so often you see yourself through the eyes of the other. You know, it forces you to start really looking at yourself in a way that you you, you don't when you're back home, you know, surrounded by your people and the familiar. So because of that, that gaze of being othered, of being immigrant, you know, I, I really started asking myself, but what, who am I really? You know, who are my people? Right. Um, I, I realized that there was a lot that I took for granted growing up in Cameroon because it was always there, the music, the dance, the food, the traditional dress, the traditional languages. I, I took that a lot for, for granted, you know, and it wasn't until I left the country and, you know, became other in another place that I realized that um, there there is depth there. There is a way that knowledge of these things and familiarity and being owning these things grounds you um, that, you know, if, if you don't have that really clear within you, um, it can be a very disorienting experience. Mm-hmm. And especially so in the last five years, you know, in the U.S. with all the political and social turmoil. Mm-hmm. So um, and then I just I, I started on a public health research career and I wasn't finding that particularly fulfilling. So I said to myself, why not? You know, why not start this this enterprise of asking the big questions about African peoples? You know, mm-hmm. who are we? What did we think about the world? How did we um, see the world before this story of colonialism be- became superimposed on who we are? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the big story. But then it came down to the nitty gritty because, like you said, it's 54 countries and underneath those 54 countries, it's hundreds, thousands even of peoples and cultures and civilizations and languages and stories, thousands and thousands of stories. So mythological Africans is this this effort, this um, endeavor to purse that apart, you know, to figure out, okay, who did we think we are? Um, I started a lot of the the work with uh, Foray into Cameroon. Mm-hmm. Um, Cameroonian peoples, Cameroonian folklore, Cameroonian mythologies, you know, how the Cameroonian people conceive of God mm-hmm. or the supreme being, all of that. And then very gradually, you know, built a platform around that and started looking at other African countries. So that's that's kind of the journey. And if you look at the 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 material that I have out there through mythological Africans, you can really see this this path towards you know, where I am now, which is a really exciting space. I'm very, very thrilled about what, what's coming up and what the future is looking like. Yeah, I'm very thrilled as well. Um, <laughs> my excitement, you know, not enabled me to speak proper grammar there, but we're also <laughs> equally thrilled. And I think you explained that so well. I especially relate to when you were talking about being grounded. I had a similar experience with moving to the U.S. And mm. I think for the first time, there was a real desire to be connected much more than when I lived in Nigeria and back on the continent. There was a real desire to be connected, to feel a sense of this is who I am. And this is, mm-hmm. this is what I am. Um, especially like you mentioned, there's so much 
politics here in, in the States, especially. I'm not sure about uh, other um, Western countries, but it disorients you. Um, like you said, you, you, you can't, you kind of have to figure out who you are in the middle of all the noise. Mm-hmm. And um, part of the reason, and I spoke about this in the last episode, is why I became a part of Pod Save Africa. It's just to feel that sense of connection and groundness, mm-hmm. like, like you explained. So, I mean, this kind of ties back into the next thing we're going to talk about. But why do you think people should be interested in African mythology? So, one on one hand, we can we've kind of talked about why Africans may feel connected or may be interested, but for the rest mm-hmm. of the world, uh, we've spoken about how Greek mythology is, is more pronounced than African mythology. Well, why should we pay attention to African mythology as a general consensus, as a global world? That is a really, really good question. And um, I'm going to start by highlighting the fact that if we look at Western civilization, for example, a lot of it is uh, borrows ideas, um, philosophies, um, orientations from the mythologies of the people of the West, the Greeks, the Romans, the Celts, the, the, the um, Scandinavian people, the Norse, the Germanic people, and, and so forth and so forth mm-hmm. and so forth. So, um, I think that it's not possible to have a, a complete picture of the human race as we are with everything being so focused on one group. Now, this is not to say that mythology from India and China and the Americas, North and South, has not had an influence. But because of you know geopolitics and history, um, the, the 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 Western gaze, you know. Um, Western myths, colonization, and all of that has have kind of risen up to the top as the stories around which a lot of the world is organized. And if we are saying that we want to move towards a world where, um, you know, the, the, it's not just a story of one people, you know, other people's ideas and other people's philosophies are taken into consideration. Um, Africa can't be left out of the picture. That's omitting a huge, huge chunk of the human population to start with, but also omitting the the cradle of civilization, really, because all humans evolved from out of the African continent. So, and if you look at the history of the human race, there's been migrations back in and back out. And to me, it just doesn't make any sense to say, okay, we want to tell the story of the human race and then leave, you know, the African story out of it. Um, that I think for me is the main reason why, you know, we, we definitely should be looking at, um, African mythology. But even more so, um, because the, the, the African continent has been through a lot, you know, as a people, the Afri- African people have been through a lot in recent history, which is disorienting. You know, it's disorienting. It leaves you with a question mark, you know. And I think that in going back to look at these stories, we can get a better sense of who we are as African people. Um, people from around the world can get a, a clearer, you know, more complete picture of who we are and that has implications for where we can end up in the future. So um, if, if you look at, you know, civilization civilizations run on stories what people believe about themselves the narrative and the the myths and folklore of people are the the original narratives mm-hmm. um and that's that's what we continue doing even with technology now so i i think it's it's critically important that as we think about what the future can be 
we we ground ourselves in these stories, we immerse ourselves in them, so we can figure out what what works, what doesn't, and how we can move into the future. Yeah. Yeah. No, that excellent points were made. <laughs> I feel like snapping my fingers. <laughs> this is not that kind of room, so I, I wouldn't. But you're totally right. Um, one thing that stuck out to me was the original narrative. In just thinking back to our history, one of the ways I think that we've been able to pass down African history in all of our various countries is through this myth. Um, it explains why we do the things that we do. And you're right. If we continue to think about how we can move forward as a society without thinking of this big ass continent that was not included and their mm-hmm. stories are not being taken into account in moving forward into being a global society, then we're really wasting our time. I think, and I may be biased, but uh, I truthfully stand on that. But that's that's all very, very good. Um, now we're just going to go back to a bit of your background. And you've talked about how you did journalism in Cameroon, public health research. And so that tells me that you have a big focus in asking the whys. And I can see how that can be very, very useful in talking about African mythology and folklore because some things might appear arbitrary slash might appear, why did they do that? So you have a big part and you you have the know-how to ask the whys and to find the answers to the whys. But in your own voice, could you tell me some of the ways your background has played in your journey so far? Have you been to use the knowledge and experience you've gained as a journalist and as a public health research researcher in your journey with with um, mythological Africans? Hmm. That's another really good question. Um, and it, it's it's interesting how, how things come together, right? Because you might be thinking journalism, public health, what's the yeah. connection? Um, but there is, there is actually a very big connection. And I will start with most recent and then go backward. Okay. So, um, one of the things we learned in, uh, you know, when I was doing my master's in public health is how to read a research paper, how to determine if a research paper is well done, you know, if the, the, it's coherent, if the ideas connect to each other and how they fit into the wider scheme of things. Another thing we were taught in public health is that there is never just one issue. There is, you know, the, the branch of public health I studied was epidemiology mm-hmm. and it, basically is the investigative side of public health using numbers. So the number crunching side of public health. And you could, you know, try to investigate, determine, you know, correlation between some, you know, uh, uh, input and some output uh, cause and an effect. But what you are thought as a public health researcher is that there's, it's never just a straight line. There are always other influences, confounding factors. So it's, it's more than one thing, you know, and, different different uh, variables interacting with each other to result in an outcome, um, you have to look at the whole picture. Right. Um, so how to, you know, do research, how to do research, how to understand how different variables interact with each other, how they enhance each other's effect, how they may dampen each other's effect, um, how to look at, you know, things in their rightful context because you could say, okay, this um, exposure is what's causing this outcome, this disease. But then if you 
start teasing things apart, you see that it's that exposure in addition to this other factor, you know, how old the person is, their their weight, you know, their their social situation, their race. You know, one of the big things in the US is race. But it's amazing how race will influence, you know, what your health status would be. Mm-hmm. Um, how has that been useful with mythological Africans? Well, first the the how to determine if research is well done. Um, who wrote the paper, for example? Um, you 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 look at some of this information that is out there about the African continent, right? Especially if the older information, the older narratives, you know, collected pre-colonial times, during colonial times, um, you are immediately aware of the bias, right? Mm. You have people who were missionaries, you know, writing about African cultures which they didn't understand, and they were coming in with their own preconceived notions about who. They were, they, they were interacting with. So you, you become acutely aware of that bias in the same way that you know that, okay, if you have a researcher who is a white person completely immersed in their own circles and not really aware of how things work in the Asian community, in the Black community, in the Latino community, they might miss out on important things that, that um, contribute to a disease's outcome. Right. right. So that that awareness that, OK, it matters who is telling the story. Mm. Right. Yeah. It really matters who is telling the story. It matters what they are trying to achieve, what they are trying to prove. So um, that that I think has been one of the most helpful things for me, um, because, like I said, looking at the material that is out there for African mythology, the academic papers, the books, the the pamphlets, you know, the the commentary in in art um, collections and things like that, there is that heightened awareness of who is telling the story and what may what might they be leaving out. And I think that I'm able to do this because of my training in public health research, but also just assessing the the general quality of a paper, right? Um, just because a lot of, I use Google Scholar a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, and just getting a sense of, okay, is this a well-written paper? Is yeah. it, you know, taking all the, the the factors into consideration? Is the person's train of thought organized? You know, are their sources well-cited? That's a big thing. Are their sources well-cited? Can I trace an idea back to its original point? Um, so I, I think that my training in public health really helps me in that regard because I, I am more I, well, I try to be careful about which story I am telling. And uh, a recent thing um, really brought that into sharp focus for me. So I, I did a collaboration with uh, Monstrum, which is a show um, on PBS. Yeah. And it was about the Adi, which if you look online, Adi is a vampire, like, you know, from every people. Mm-hmm. But then when you start poking into what Adze really is, it, it's so much more than that, right? It's not just simply a, a, a Dracula-type creature that sucks blood. It's connected to so much that has to do with worldview and, you know, beliefs and even goes into how colonialism affected, you know, worldviews and things like that. So I'm not going to give too much details, go watch that on YouTube, Monstrum, um, and you can go on the Mythological Africans homepage to, to get to that as well. But that that really, you know, brought into sharp relief for me that you can't just go with what's on the surface. And I think that 
I I have that perspective because of my training in public health. You know, I can't just go with what seems obvious. But then going even further back, journalism is all about telling a story and telling it well, asking the right questions, you know, knowing, um, like you said, the whys, why, 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 but also the who, the what, the when, and the how. That's how you tell a complete story. So, um, and just, of course, a general interest in people, you know, what makes people tick and how could we tick better if that's a way, if that's a way of looking at it. So I, I think that it might have seemed like a meandering path, but, you know, the interest in telling stories and telling them well, but also making sure that the story that I am telling is accurate, um, which is what I try to do with mythological Africans. Um, all my training and experience so far really has, has prepared me for this. Yeah. And, um, something that we, we, you, um, haven't brought up at my, after I did my MPH, um, I also did some work in the corporate sphere. So, and that was a lot of, you know, preparing presentations, talking to people, communicating. Um, and I think that all just, kind of packaged me well for, you know, being in this position where I'm ferreting out information and trying to present it in a coherent manner to people who this information might be new to them. Mm -hmm. So it's, it might seem like a, you know, all over the place, but I think the, what, what I was able to come out of it with really did, you know, position me to do what I do now with mythological Africans. Yeah. Wow. Bravo. <laughs> Bravo to you. <laughs> Thank you. captured that very well. And I do think that for a lot of people, if they look back on their journeys, they might, they might all seem to be meandering. But like you said, there's always a connection there. There's always mm -hmm. a skill that you're sharpening. It's always mm -hmm. better in you on, on the flip side. And if there were a couple of things that I could point out from what you said, and even still, even just putting it to the highlights of of what the podcast is about or I mean, what we try and capture is that it matters who is telling the story. That is very, very important. And if that's one thing listeners take take home from this episode, is it should be that. And two, is that you can't just go with what's going on on the surface. And it especially Absolutely. ties back with who, who's telling the story because mm -hmm. depending on who's telling the story, what the surface might look like is very um, and in, we're in the age of clickbait and we're in the age of uh -huh. trying to get people to read things quickly. And so that surface level really is just that is to get your attention. But looking further, looking deeply, um, it's why we encourage even your listeners outside of news updates to do your own research further into the stories you've shared. That's why we encourage multiple sources. It's why we encourage just asking why um, in uh -huh. regards to things that you see, in regards to things that you read, in regards to things that you listen to. Um, and you've painted that all very well and how your background has helped you to, to become really good at doing that. So thank you for, for sharing that with us and letting us get that, this insight into your own trajectory. <laughs> um, as far as the rest of your journey with mythological Africans, if you were to think back on where you started from to where it is now, what are some of the highlights that you would like to share with? our audience today oh my goodness so first i have to shout out the mythologic and folklore community on twitter there is there is nowhere else on the internet like that i i mean my experience to communities on the internet 
um, I think is limited. You know, it's a big, big, big place. But I've just walked the internet streets a little bit. And I find that the myth and folklore community is just one of those places where people want to hear a good story and people are curious. People want to honor what others have to offer. And um, so when, when I started Mythological Africans, you know, I created the Twitter page and everything. And I started trying to find myth and folklore you know, accounts to follow on Twitter. And I very quickly realized that there was this um, series of activities. So every day there is um, Mythology Monday, Fairy Tale Tuesday, Weird Wednesday, Folklore Thursday, Fortune Friday, Superstition Saturday, and Swamp Sunday. And in between that, there are other, you know, hashtags and things where people from all over the the world just get together and share stories, myths, folklore. So one of my favorites, actually, I oh, I can't pick, I can't pick, but you know, <laughs> I, I really like Fairy Tale Tuesday and I really like Folklore Thursday because Fairy Tale Tuesday is all about, you know, stories, the, the fairy tales. That's what I cut my teeth on, you know. Um the 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 little tiny hardcover books, you know, with the Cinderellas and all of that grins and all of that. Yeah. So but then that you have people from Asia, from, you know, Australia, from the South America, from North America, from Europe. And it's just this explosion of stories on the timeline. And then Folklore Thursday, you kind of get the, the background. So it's stories, but it's also the cultures underneath the stories. Right. So I found myself in this amazing community of people who were very, very happy to have, you know, African representation. And uh, the, the approach I took was, you know, if it's not there, then it's an opportunity, right? Because one thing, one thing that um, happens on the internet is that we, we want to tell stories, but we want to do it right. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't want people who might not understand nuance to step, you know, stay out of their lane. Mm -hmm. So I, to step out of their lane. So I took it as a responsibility to say, okay, if I'm going to position myself as someone who does African mythology and folklore, then I'm going to, you know, take that responsibility as fully as I can. So I made a point um, when I just started Mythological Africans in um, late 2020 and early 2021 to show up, to show up consistently, to show up, you know, in, in a good way. I had threads, you know, posts. I tried to find pictures which was a little challenging. That's something I hope we get to talk about. Um, but just to show up as strongly as I, as I could. And the, the welcome was just amazing. You know, people loved, loved the content. You know, they, they loved the stories. They loved the background. Um, I think folks really appreciated that I, I cited the sources. You know, I was able to say, okay, this is the book I pulled this from. This is the paper I pulled this from. This is why I think this is the case. This is the context out of which this comes from. And, um, not to, I, I did this thread on fairies and other otherworldly type beings in African mythology, fairies and quotes, because of course we have different names for these creatures. Right. And I was invited by, um, this, lovely group of people out of the University of uh, Head for Share, I hope I'm saying that right, in the UK, um, to present at a conference. It's the, the, the group is called Open Graves, Open Minds, and they focus on Gothic, um, Gothic literature. So that, you know, dark and supernatural type information, I guess is a way of putting it. So I got to present at this conference about, um, 
uh, otherworldly beings in in African um, culture, in African mythology and folklore. So that that was the very first um, talk I got to give. This was in April of twenty twenty one. It was a paper titled "The Gothic in Traditional African Folklore," mm-hmm. and I got I got to um, explore, you know, the different creatures that that exist you know the benevolent ones the malevolent ones the ones in between who can be nice or evil depending on how you deal with them so um, that was fun but then I also got to um, know some people in this group out of the uh, University College London UCL Mm -hmm. in the UK Um, and I talked with them about riddles in African folklore and again this was just me on the timeline I was reading a book by Isidore Pejo who is one of my favorite African writers and philosophers and um, started doing this thread about African riddles and um, Kanuma Powers, who's one of the the, um, researchers, um, professors at uh, UCL, reached out and said, hey, you want to come talk to us about riddles in African folklore? And I said, sure. So I put together a paper and um, got to talk with them. And that was a lot of fun because this was, they are just an enthusiastic and, you know, very highly trained um, with extensive, extensive knowledge. So it was, it was really a great, you know, validation to have these people who, in my opinion, were experts in their field, um, you know, appreciate the work that I was doing. Right. But beyond that, you know, even just on Twitter, there were people from different African countries who were, you know, following the page, you know, reaching out in DMs to say, hey, this is great, you know, telling people about it. And the community just kept growing and growing and growing. And so it, it just, it continued for the whole of 2021. Um, I, I got to develop the paper I gave into, into a whole, you know, full length. Um, it was a presentation, but I, I developed that into a full length paper. Um, and then got connected to other people who, you know, made plans for 2021, talks that I would give, um, got invitation to, you know, just be part of the community. And and it's it's been great so far. It really has been great. Um, the highlight, of course, was um, being contacted by the, the folks at TBS because that was just like, oh, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. You know, and, and, and getting to work on that episode and finally see it come to life. Right. Um, to me, that was just, and, and it all, you know, it was like a year later um, after I started Mythological African. So it was just uh, this amazing full circle moment for me a way almost a way of you know life saying hey you did good and this this is a way to say you know you you're doing well you know you're doing well it was it's just been it's just been amazing um but really I have to say that the most the most validation the most pleasure I get out of this is the the different African people who say I didn't know this right (laughs) you know because it's just I feel so much connection there because I came to realize just how little I knew about my own self you know my own people but also the other people on the African continent and this has just been an amazing amazing um journey of discovery that I I get to share with with everyone so yeah (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yes, you're right. And I've been fortunate to partake in a few of your sessions that you've had on Twitter. And really what's going through my mind all the time, I did not know this more often than not. It's more of I did not know this than I did know this. And so I feel like there's, for a lot of us, 
there's a lot missing that we do not know. And you being able to step into that space and fill the gap, both for Africans on the continent and from the continent and from other people and to plug in with a community that seems so vast and so so supportive is is truly amazing to hear. And if I could just echo what the, the what the world is telling you is you're doing great. <laughs> you're doing really amazing. <laughs> um, Thank you. Hear from me, but I, I well of course I do. <laughs> Um, hey, every every bit of encouragement is is a, a brick in the the building. You yeah, know? yeah. So it, it definitely picks everyone saying that that feedback loop. It's it's important. So I appreciate it. I really do. Oh no, you you did really great. I I just wanted to so nuances in your journey. So what are some of those challenges? Because for me, in my head, if I'm thinking of a challenge, in I'm thinking it might be difficult to find this these stories, these fairy tales. But I also don't have the background that you do, and you 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 are able to look more thoroughly and more deeply. But if you could just capture, what are some challenges that you've encountered so far in your journey mm. with mythological Africans? Mm. So yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, finding information was initially a challenge, um, but that that is conditioned, you know, with the real appreciation for what the internet is doing. Um, right. If you know how and where to look, there is a wealth of information out there. Right. Um, when I started out, you know, I had a wish list on Amazon of books that I, you know, people would buy from me sometimes. And I had some very generous people actually buy me books. Right. Um, but Google Scholar, just Google in general. But one of the biggest challenges I had was finding uh, uh, the source, mm. right? making you know there's there's a lot out there anybody can get on the internet and write anything about african people right right so making sure that the information i was getting was from a reliable source was accurate you know was actually representative of what what the the the, the ideal or the creature or the, the 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 story the narrative that was initially a challenge um and it still comes up I was just, you know, complaining about this um, on Twitter about a week ago that sometimes you'll get a book, you know, um, claiming that some creature is XYZ or some, some um, deity in the African pantheon of whatever people is something. Um, but then you look around and you see nobody else corroborating that, that statement, right? right? Or if you see anybody corroborating that statement, is using the exact same words as that original book, which tells you that they you that's the copied. only thing they're sourcing, yeah. right? So that that was and still is a challenge in some respects, especially since a lot of the older myths, folklore, and traditions, um, we African people and oral, oral. people, right, like, yeah. by and large, yeah. Um, so a lot of the documented sources were done by people who are not themselves African, which is not in and of itself a bad thing, mm -hmm. but because it's filtered quite often through their perceptions, there's biases, there's racism, straight up. Yeah. You know, so um navigating all of that has been challenging, finding what's accurate, getting a clear source. You know, sometimes they would write the book without naming who their informants were. So I always get excited. I was reading um, a book uh, for the Twitter Space Gathering yesterday 
on urban mythology and I was just so excited to see the informant very clearly named, you know, from Elisha, but now mm-hmm. of Lagos. And I was like, this is what I'm talking about. I want yeah. to know who these people are. Right. They should even be listed as authors, you know? Yeah. So, um, um, that, that I think has been the, the major challenge, but also keeping in mind that a lot of what, um, you know, we might flippantly call mythology and folklore, these are living traditions for some people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, on, right. They're living traditions. So navigating that respectfully, mm-hmm. but also, you know, being honoring the fact that, um, the, there is a story to be told and there are people out there who want to hear these stories, right? Mm-hmm. Who want to hear these stories and are on a search for information themselves. And I have something to offer them. So that's that. I think those those two are the two. You know, if I ever find myself tiptoeing or walking a little bit hesitantly, those those are the two areas I would say there is some challenge. Um, but so far, so far, so good. I I think just staying true to wanting to tell a good story mm-hmm. and want, wanting to tell a true story um, has has kept me on the straight and narrow so far. So yeah. Good and true. It would always keep you on the right path, I think. <laughs> so that's good to know. And so we've talked a little bit about this, but why Twitter spaces? You know, we're a podcast here and we're a big advocate <laughs> for podcasts in general. And so in our head, we're like, oh, why didn't you come to the podcast? Well, it was great to have you here. <laughs> um, but and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, yes, we will. Hint, but, but why, <laughs> why Twitter spaces? Why did you choose that avenue in curating the space? Right. So it, it goes back to what we were just right now talking about. The fact that the African storytelling tradition is an oral one, mm-hmm. right? We didn't have scribes, you know, some high cultures, you know, where you had the sultans and the, you know, big people, you know, big chiefs. Some had scribes in certain parts of the continent, but by and large, African people are an oral people. We, we preserve our stories through, um, songs and poems and, and folk tales, which are spoken, right? Yeah. We gather together and we talk them, we dance them, we sing them, we act them. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I got a lot of encouragement to start a podcast, but, um, I wanted to honor that African storytelling tradition of people coming together and listening and discussing, right? And um, it, it for me, a space, a, a platform such as Twitter Spaces just just did it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, Clubhouse was an option for a while, but because the majority of my work was on Twitter, is on Twitter still, um, I didn't want to to disperse things too much you know mm-hmm. and thank goodness you know twitter developed this feature because it, it just made for a seamless transition for me um to to keep things in 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 one place mm-hmm. so the the twitter spaces really is just my effort to preserve the african storytelling tradition as much as i can you know to make it a thing where it's a, it's a community it's a group of people coming together sitting together and when i started this twitter spaces i i called them fireside friday you know mm-hmm. for obvious reasons um a lot of the 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 times people gathered around the fire after a day of work to eat and tell stories yeah. um so that that really is the the motivation behind 
having a Twitter space, but not a podcast. But then Twitter spaces, you know, um, has evolved and you have the capacity to record these, these spaces now. So that, mm. that makes it even better, doesn't it? <laughs> That's, it really does. Um, I can't contain myself <laughs> too much. Um, just excited for what we're about to announce. Um, but it, just talking more about the Twitter space, where can our audience find this Twitter space if they would like to participate in the future? Future um, recording or in, in the future, what's the word? I'm thinking recording because I'm thinking podcast. Future but, gathering. Uh, future <laughs> gathering, exactly. Right, right, um, right. So we meet every Fridays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. So wherever you are in the world, um, keep in mind that it's 6 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. because I'm based in Atlanta. And I, I really encourage you to join these sessions, whoever you are, wherever you are, because I feel like I am just one person telling these stories. Um, but if you show up as someone who is interested in but also willing to represent your people, then there is a higher chance that if there is some some inaccuracy, you will catch it. I can't tell the number of times when, you know, I have been, you know, in a Twitter space discussion and someone from some people has has you know added some shade of nuance that you know just me reading the story might not might not have captured right. it was really great for example when we did a, a poetry readings in the original languages so we had um a poetry reading in bemba which is a language spoken in um zambia mm-hmm. i believe we had one in yoruba um and it it was just it, it's different it's, yeah. it's a different experience and it's always so much more electrifying when we have people from different cultures who are able to say, hey, this is how this works in my culture. One of the best Twitter spaces I have had, and it's just unfortunate because the, the recording uh, cap- capability wasn't there at that time, was when we did a, a, a gathering about Madame Koi Koi. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with that. That no, yes. this, yeah. this ghost that haunts, you know, boarding schools and yes. I was under the impression that it was a Cameroonian phenomenon. No. Come to find out that Madame Koi Koi yeah. is no. in Nigeria, it's in Ghana, it's in Zambia, it's wow. in South Africa. Wow. It, it was amazing. It yeah. was amazing. So we we had these, you know, different uh uh uh, uh always in the boarding schools. <laughs> right? That's the person I heard of when I entered boarding school, Madame Koi Koi. Yeah. So like that that week. was that was I it it was just amazing to sit there and hear these other people say, "Hey, this is the story where I'm where I come from." Yeah. You know the different iterations of Madame Koi Koi, but always you know with the high heels and everything. Yeah. So that's that's the the beauty of 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 the Twitter space and why I hope that people join in, um, listen, speak up if you get the chance, and and just be part of it. Let's preserve that aspect of our of our cultural heritage using the technological tools that are available to us. Yeah, the technology is great, isn't it? And so it, it really is. So your Twitter spaces really can feel like being gathered around the fire and sharing mm. stories and feeling that warmth of one gathering of like-minded people interested in the same thing, but feeling that warmth of connection to our history and to our past and to our shared knowledge and experience of things. So, and that's amazing. But for those of you who cannot partake in a Twitter spaces, we are both very happy to announce that you will now have the opportunity to listen to the recordings from the Twitter spaces here at Pods of Africa. 
So that's that's the one that's the news I have not needed to contain. <laughs> but mythological Africans <laughs> and Fatih of Africa are going to be collaborating to making this Twitter spaces available as audio here on the podcast. So as mm-hmm. well as the news updates and, and other stories we'll be covering, you will now be able to listen in on the myths and on the stories. And if, of course, at any point as you're listening, if you have any questions or concerns, um, mythological Africans will be available to you to, to hear them. If you have any additions, have any nuances, I'm sure it's all make for a very enjoyable experience for all of us. And we were very excited to have this opportunity. <laughs> we're very excited to present this, uh, the folklore and the myths to you and to be able to invite you into the space. And we're also hoping that as well as listening to the recorded episodes, when you do get the chance, you can plug back into the Twitter spaces that are held on Friday to partake in them, in them not physically, as they're occurring, um, because mm-hmm. it is a different experience to be part of it as it's ongoing and to be able to hear the questions that are being asked and maybe to think of questions that you're thinking of yourself and to feel that fireside engagement. So we're very much looking forward to this. We thought we would do this interview as a foray into that so you can hear more about why it's important to do this, to hear more about Helen and her journey so far. And um, yeah, I'm very excited. (laughs) I am too. And I'm just so thrilled and honored that you you people thought of, you know, mythological Africans. It it shows, at least from where I stand, that you you see value in in what that community is trying to achieve. So I am really, really grateful for, for the, the, the partnership and I, I hope we make it the, the best thing possible. The best thing possible. I, I'm very excited about this. <laughs> I am very excited. I'm even hoping that it, it helps other Africans to be plug into the mythological community that's on Twitter. Um, because as you mentioned, it, there's opportunity there. And the more we are, the more connection, connected we are, mm-hmm. the more opportunity for collaboration uh, and in different spheres. And, and so we're hoping that this is an avenue for that. So mm-hmm. very excited all, all around. <laughs> uh, and with that, any parting words for our audience here today, Helen? Parting words. Hmm. I would say stay curious. Stay curious. Um, stay curious. Um, ask the, the questions that you need to ask and don't be afraid of the answers. Um, I, I find quite often that um, sometimes we, we don't want to know because we feel like we might not like what we will find, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what I, I mean, honestly, there are times when I will read something about African people and I will go like mutter to myself, what the heck did I just read, <laughs> you know? But it can only help, right? We have a lot of unanswered questions on the African continent. We have a lot of problems. And um, I think that if we, the more we understand who we are and why we are the way we are, and the more we will be able to think of different possibilities for ourselves in the future. So stay curious. Um, ask the questions. Don't be afraid of the answers because... Uh, whatever the answer is, it's an opportunity to do different, right? Yeah. So stay open and just keep keep thinking, keep dreaming. Keep thinking, keep dreaming. Yeah. Keep thinking, keep dreaming, stay curious. Ooh, I love this mantra. <laughs> I might just post it on my wall. You hear it here, yeah. folks. Stay curious. Don't be afraid of the answers that you find. Keep thinking, keep dreaming. 
And so from here, I, from us here at Pod Save Africa and Mythological Africans. And we, Mythological Africans. <laughs> and Mythological Africans. We bid you a good day, a, a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for joining into this episode. All information about Mythological Africans will be made available in the show notes, including the Twitter, their Twitter handle, website, and any other information that would be accessible to you in regards to our collaboration and in regards to how you can partake in the Twitter spaces. So we've loved being here with you. We've loved talking with you. And that is all. Bye.